We all want a business like Netflix or Amazon Prime. Businesses where once a customer engages with them, it becomes automatic and a part of their lifestyle from then on. But how do you build that forever transaction? I'm Robbie Kelman Baxter, and I have been studying subscription and membership models for nearly 20 years. In this podcast, my guests and I share the secrets and strategies of the membership economy. Join us for subscription stories, true tales from the trenches. You're probably all familiar with LinkedIn Learning, formerly known as lynda.com. It's LinkedIn's professional development platform. They offer more than 18,000 video courses available via subscription. There's a huge range of topics covered from how to use Adobe After Effects to how to have difficult conversations to the fundamentals of customer success. Consumers can subscribe to LinkedIn Learning on their own or access the platform through an enterprise license. My guest today, Jill Rains, is Director of Product Management at LinkedIn, where she leads their LinkedIn Learning business. I first got to know her when I was developing my own LinkedIn Learning courses for the platform, and I was interested in understanding the business side of things. I've learned so much through our discussions about the unique challenges and opportunities facing the world's largest professional development educational platform. In our conversation, Jill and I discuss the LinkedIn ecosystem and forever promise more generally before diving into the role of LinkedIn learning. We also talk about the specific challenges of professional development subscriptions, how to balance the needs of consumers with the needs of enterprise customers, and whether to offer both pay per course and subscriptions as pricing options. Welcome to the show, Jill. Thank you so much for having me, Robbie. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk to you and we have a lot to cover. I wanted to start by asking you about the concept of a forever promise. When the company promises the customer something in exchange for that customer or subscriber's loyalty and trust and membership for the long term, when you think about your LinkedIn learning member, what is that forever promise for you? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And at LinkedIn, we talk about a very similar concept. We call it a job to be done, which I think is very similar to this forever promise framework. It's essentially, why does a learner hire us? What's the pain point? What's the outcome that we're going to solve for a learner? Where LinkedIn learning exists to teach people the skills to be productive and successful in their careers be that they need to obtain confidence and efficiency to do their job better, they need to advance their skill sets to get a promotion, or perhaps they need to get an entirely new or adjacent set of skills to land an entirely new gig altogether. And I think what I find so fascinating about this role is the reality of the world we're in right now is that skills are changing so fast, changing faster than we've ever seen them change before. And given just this constant change in tools and technology, what we see in the data at LinkedIn, and maybe you've heard it even referenced before as we call it our economic graph, but essentially this data comprised of our 800 million plus member profiles, 15 million job postings. I think we're at almost 38,000 unique skills on the platform, but essentially it's this graph that's showing us that skill sets for jobs have changed. I believe about 25% since 2015. And that number is expected to double once we hit 2027. So what that means from a learning concept, right, is that now to get a new job or to do your current job better 
always means something different. It's always changing. It's always evolving. So what members are turning to us for is to make sure we can match them to high quality content to help them achieve that goal in this ever evolving, ever changing environment that we're living in. Last thing I'll add is very related to this. I was talking with a learner just the other day and she was telling me how she works in customer service and that her job in customer service looks completely different than it did two years ago. The skill sets she needs now are, she was saying, all about social media. That's her outlet to engage with the customer, which two years ago was completely irrelevant. So our forever promise to this member was being able to turn to LinkedIn Learning to be matched to content to help her close that skill gap in this world where her job and what she needs to do to be successful is always changing. Yeah, so interesting. So just to summarize, it sounds like the LinkedIn Learning promise, the job to be done, and I don't know if it's just for LinkedIn Learning or if it's for the whole organization of LinkedIn, which is to be productive and successful in your career. Am I getting that right? Yeah. I mean, the vision at LinkedIn, right, is to create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce, where LinkedIn sits in that ecosystem as a means to create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce is to teach members the skills they need to unlock that opportunity. Got it. LinkedIn Learning came out of an acquisition that we did a few years back, and it's a very nice bolted on value proposition to the overarching vision we have as a company as LinkedIn. Yeah, that's an interesting side point. This question of business development or acquisition to continue layering in value to support that forever promise. It's sort of interesting to think about the role that LinkedIn Learning, formerly known as Linda, plays in that broader promise around global economic opportunity. It's really interesting to think about. And something that I try to teach the companies that I work with is if you focus on that promise, if you focus on that job to be done, the products, the features that you offer are going to change over time because you're always looking for the best and most efficient way to deliver on that. And so something that I like about, I mean, I'm a little bit of a fangirl on LinkedIn. I've written a lot about the organization in my books and articles. Because I think that you're an organization that really is focused on that, is kind of the successful employee is that North Star, and you're just always like layering in stuff that is designed to help people thrive in their careers. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So we were talking about this promise, and I'm curious, sometimes that kind of a promise, helping people thrive, economic opportunity globally, even something more narrow, like being productive and successful in your career or having the skills to match the need for your current job or the job that you aspire to. Those are great things to say, but it's hard to measure. So I'm curious, as a product person, how do you think about measuring whether you're on track for those bigger goals? Yeah, the way we look at LinkedIn Learning to measure that forever promise is engagement. Are people coming to our platform and watching content? Are they coming back to the platform and watching content? And engagement being the number one leading indicator of churn, both on both sides of our business. We have an online subscription side of our business, right? Where you're coming in monthly or annually and you're renewing, or our enterprise side of the business and both engagement being that leading indicator of account churn. So engagement is our North Star. I've always defined that as frequency, recency, depth, and breadth of usage. So frequency, how often are they coming back? Recency, when was the last time they came back? Depth is often how long did they spend when they were there? And breadth is, 
how broadly did they go in terms of the features and benefits that they're entitled to? In the world of streaming entertainment content, that breadth is, do you just watch documentaries or do you sometimes watch a (laughs) rom-com? In your world, I think it's more about, are you developing technical skills? Are you developing softer personal skills? Are you developing industry skills? How do you think about engagement? Is it all of those things or is there one number or one way of looking at it that you think is the most important? Yeah, we absolutely look at that whole host of things. Frequency of engagement being the number one leading indicator of their ability to come back, to stay with us and build that loyal relationship as you're talking about in the membership economy. So frequency is what we'll look at very closely. But depth is also extremely important from a learning perspective. We talk a lot about how we help our learners be more productive and successful is by delivering outcomes to them, delivering career outcomes. You don't get a new job. You don't get a promotion by watching 10 minutes of a course on leadership. It takes depth, right? You've got to dive into the Python course, really practice, take many courses, perhaps. We have long series of learning paths. So depth is definitely also an indicator of being able to connect someone to those outcomes that we can map right across our ecosystem. We can see our members able to retain longer in jobs because of learning? Are they more successful in obtaining a hiring outcome, getting that job they applied to on LinkedIn because of the course they were watching on LinkedIn Learning? A lot of those metrics that you talked about are at the learner level. Did I take the course? Did I complete the course? Did I get the job I wanted? Am I staying in the job I wanted? All of those are sort of very personal, very consumery kinds of metrics. But you mentioned that you also think about it from an enterprise perspective, meaning that organizations might have a license for their employee base. When you think about the interplay between the B2B side and the B2C side, imagine that sometimes there are maybe direct conflicts for resources. The enterprise team needs something, but the consumer-focused team has a different metric, or maybe the metric that the consumers would want is the opposite of what the enterprise would want. When you were talking about the metrics... A lot of the metrics and a lot of the things that you track, did I get the job I want? Did I keep the job I want? Did I spend time taking these courses and complete them and report back that they were helpful? Those are all metrics at the consumer level. But I know that you also have an enterprise business, that the enterprise organizations are an important part of the broader LinkedIn learning ecosystem. And I wonder if there are kind of trade-offs on the two sides, feature that might be better for one group or the other, or how to prioritize. And I'm also curious about how the two parts work in harmony or with synergies that form between the two groups for your broader ecosystem. Can you talk a little bit about the interplay between your consumer business and the consumer relationships and your enterprise business? Yeah, absolutely. So as I stated before, like how we measure on that forever promise is engagement. And our priority holds true that it's always building for the learner and their needs in mind first, with the philosophy really being when we make the learner successful, we make an organization successful. When we drive member value, it translates directly into customer value. That said, like you called her out, right? There's nuances and there's things that we'll see that make a learner successful on the consumer side but maybe not as successful or irrelevant on the enterprise side. And we have to be intentional about that prioritization across. A couple examples that come to mind, right, are where most of our enterprise learners are learning is on their desktop. They're at work, they're learning, training, maybe in a team meeting, maybe through onboarding, and they're 
usually engaging in the hours of their working hours on their desktop. Consumer side, completely different landscape, right? They're on their mobile phone. Our mobile usage is much, much higher on the consumer side. They're learning on nights. They're learning on weekends. Our email optimization playbook might need to look a little bit different, right, on the consumer side and when the right time and the appropriate time that's helpful to meet a learner who's trying to learn as their second job on nights and weekends than someone who's trying to onboard at their new company during their nine to five hours that doesn't want that Saturday onboarding email, right? So we have to be intentional about some of those differences. The other one that comes to mind, I think, mostly is the dynamic we see in job-seeking behavior when we look across consumer and enterprise. Something it's like 60% of our consumer learners have viewed or saved a job on LinkedIn in the past month. So job-seeking activity in the consumer space is super high. And that's why they're turning to LinkedIn Learning to be able to upskill to land that new job. On the enterprise side, it looks different. They're coming and turning to LinkedIn Learning, that forever promise to get better, get more efficient in the job they're in. So again, we have to just think about and be intentional about the ability to prioritize across some of those different integrations. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've thought about this a lot with professional development as a category, right? There's really, as you said, two different reasons that people do professional development. One of them is to get better at their current job, which is often subsidized by their organization. And the other is to get out of that job and go somewhere else. And so I'm glad you sort of called that out as sort of one difference. I appreciate the difference between mobile in the evenings versus desktop during the day. That's also a really good example. And the third one that I wanted to explore with you is what the outcomes are. We've talked about what the desired outcomes are for the learner, but can you talk a little bit about some of the desired outcomes for an enterprise? Why would an organization pay the big bucks to give all of their learners subscriptions or access to LinkedIn Learning? And how do they determine whether they're getting the value that they hoped for? Yeah, they're looking at outcomes like retention. Am I able to help a employee at the company upskill their skill sets so that they're more productive and successful in their jobs, therefore likely to stay at my organization longer? It's much, much more expensive when you talk about needing to go out and acquire net new talent than being able to grow talent from within. So that we see among the learning and development professionals, right? The members we work with on the customer-facing side is a top, top priority. The other one that's really growing in the space is internal mobility. This idea to maybe take a frontline worker that has all of the skills or a very high overlap to be able to move into that corporate-facing role within their organization and giving this opportunity to move someone internally and close skill gaps is another priority we see very, very much increasing across our customer segment. Yeah, it's interesting. You use this language of skills development and skill gap, which is a little different than the concept of certification or taking a course. I'm interested in how you think about professional development, professional education, and how it's evolving, especially digital learning, how it's changing the way that people learn and how you're thinking differently about what that means in terms of how you design and serve up your content. 
Yeah, no, it's an excellent question. And I think COVID will probably have forever changed the landscape of what online learning means. And we just went through this massive expedited digitalization that online learning saw such a crazy, crazy boom. You hear that across the entire competitive landscape. But a couple areas that are top of mind is one, there's a finite amount of time across these products to use, right? Do I go watch another episode of Squid Games or do I finish that Python course I started last week? (laughs) There's probably a right answer in there, the Python course, but (laughs) it's not always the easy one, right? So we talk a lot about at LinkedIn Learning how we're meeting learners in the flow of work, where it's like how we're meeting them in their day-to-day lives and putting it in the context of their professional lives to make engagement easier. And being part of the world's largest professional network, we're in a unique position that we can meet learners in that flow of work. And now even with integrations into products like Microsoft Viva and LinkedIn Learning integrating together, it becomes this much more seamless interaction for how we can reach someone, not necessarily needing to go into LinkedIn Learning itself, type something into the search bar and be able to watch a course, but just seamlessly scroll through your feed and be able to watch a two-minute tip on business development from Robbie or be able to see a job posting. And alongside that job posting, you're able to see courses that can close skill gaps so that you're better qualified and better positioned to apply for that job. That's definitely one area. One I would call out evolving is around modalities. Live events, for example, is a very common way now we see learners and experts on the other side of the marketplace, right? Like yourself, wanting to engage with each other, not just necessarily needing to be the on-demand 18,000 course library that we have available at any time, but this ability to come onto LinkedIn, jump on a live event. I know I've even done one with you in the past before, but just hunger to do real time, be able to jump in a Q&A, interact with other learners. So this like interactivity and this absence of in-person learning and in-person interaction that this world that we're still very much in, we see come across. And the last one is probably, I'd call out this increase towards short form content. Definitely, I mean, relevant to my first point, we all have a finite amount of time. So how are we getting the highest return for that time with learning when it's hard to dedicate inside that time for that Python course? So we see this gravitation for our learners to the ability to get that learning in a shorter, more succinct point period of time. Yeah, it's a really good point. Something that I've noticed, I've taught a bunch of LinkedIn learning courses myself over a period of, let's say, five years of different courses when they've been developed. And one of the things I've noticed is an increasing sophistication. Well, first of all, the first course I did, I was really surprised that my producer didn't want any chapters, any episodes to be more than, I think it was uh, three and a half minutes, maybe four minutes. So really, really short little bursts. And then over time, what I noticed is getting more sophisticated about what to call those. It's almost the way I think about the books that I've written, especially the second book that I wrote was really influenced by this, that any chapter can stand by itself. So you might take, a, I have a course called B2B Selling, right? And you might say, well, I'm trying to get a job in B2B Selling. I'm in retail selling now. I'm trying to figure out what the Delta is so that I can get a better paying job with full benefits. Or you might say, I think I'm going to take this three minute snippet on closing the deal or objection handling. 
And I think that's really interesting that you can kind of look and take the whole course in a linear fashion, or you can just grab the just-in-time when I always laugh about how to have a difficult conversation. Like those two minutes are really helpful right before you walk into a tough meeting. And I think that's interesting. And I also, the way that you're talking about sort of layering in modalities or ways of interacting with the content is really interesting. And I feel like it's on the cutting edge of how people engage with most forms of content, that community can be a tremendous multiplier of the impact of the content, especially when it comes to learning, right? It's great to talk to your instructor, but sometimes it's even more valuable, honestly, to talk to your peers who are dealing with the same challenges. And so I'm finding that really interesting, kind of the office hours and the LinkedIn Live, which allows you to present on the fly. It's sort of interesting to just think about what's possible and how to use technology in service of adult learning. It's very different. And I think one other thought that came to mind, I've worked with a lot of professional development organizations that are used to doing classroom learning, right, that have some kind of expertise. And we've all had those experiences where someone comes into your office and they're doing a leadership training or they're doing a DEIB training and they come in and it's 45 minutes or it's all day. Those organizations are sort of thinking about the same things you just mentioned, Jill, the what does it mean if we're online? And a lot of them are starting by taking that entire darn course that might be six hours and just plopping it, taking the whole recording and putting it out there. And it's not Squid Games, right? It's just not. And so I think one of the things that people underestimate when they're thinking, and I think probably some of the people listening have their own expert content that they want to develop for learners I think a really important thing is to think about how do people learn and how do they learn digitally and how can we make it as engaging and useful and timely as possible. There are definitely things we lose by going online, right? There is something special about being in a classroom with other students and completely focused and instructors right there. But there are also things that we gain, sources of flexibility that we have. And I think that's kind of your world as the person who's creating the member experience for learning, it's fascinating to hear your thoughts on kind of the different ways that you can engage people in content that may not feel as fun and relaxing as watching a rom-com at the end of the day. Absolutely. The forever challenge, competing with the evening rom-com. We've all been there for sure. But yeah, no, I definitely think there's something really powerful when we can get those quick videos down, that ability for learners to feel and really feel that sense of progress that they're making and these short milestones, right? The quicker time we can get them to that aha moment, the better, not needing, like you said, to sit through the eight-hour DEI course before you're like, okay, I get this. I understand the value, but what are those aha checkpoint moments along the way for our learners that we're creating so that they continue to learn? Yeah, I think it's good for the instructor too, because it kind of forces you to say, what is their state of mind when they're coming here? Are they about to go into a difficult meeting or are they onboarding and trying to put their best foot forward in a brand new job that they've never done before? And then to design the content accordingly, but also to design the experience in such a way that it engages the learner and helps to surface whatever's next as well at the right time. It sounds like COVID's really accelerated that, this kind of running a complex online learning platform at scale. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, 
I will never forget some of those, or I'm sure many of us in all the roles we were in at the time, everyone's were changing, but suddenly we would come in and look at the dashboards and courses on how do I use Zoom? How do I get teams up and running? We're through the roof and just people turning to LinkedIn Learning. We suddenly had this new job to be done to be able to equip the world on how to work in a way they'd never had to work before. So it was a pretty fascinating time and just making sure we were matching people to the right sets of content, getting the right experts in the door to teach content as this world was turning on its head was pretty fascinating. I want to change gears a little bit, Jill. Everybody loves to hear about pricing. And one of the kind of ongoing debates in the world of subscriptions is, do you have to be a subscription purist, which admittedly I was for a very long time, although I'm getting a little more open-minded, or can you have a blended business model that includes transactions and maybe even advertising. So what I see with subscriptions, there's advertising supported content, there's pay per use content, right? In your case, paying by the course. And then there's subscribe to a catalog. What has been your experience with pricing and both within the larger organization of LinkedIn and as you think about what's in the best interest for your learners? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And there's, oh gosh, I have so many learnings here on this. When I came into this team, we only had a all-you-can-eat subscription model. You'd subscribe monthly or annually, and you could access any of the 18,000 plus courses we have at any point in time. We did a lot of analysis and looked rightfully across the competitive landscape and definitely saw a clear learner need for the transactional use case for the person that just wanted that one Python course, just had this just-in-time need for a piece of learning content and be able to transact that single piece of content. So a few years back, we made the decision to introduce an a la carte or a pay-per-course model, which is still available today. And you can come in and buy a single piece of content. But it was for sure a learning. I think I came into it thinking, this is a feature. We're introducing this other feature alongside our subscription business. But I definitely had this moment in transformation with the team that we just launched an entirely new business. These were now two businesses we were running and had to manage and needed a totally different set of tactics at comms plans, go-to-markets, life cycle management. So there's definitely that competing overhead for priority and resourcing when you make that decision to have two businesses. And I think if you look, as you mentioned, being part of the broader LinkedIn set, it's a membership economy. It's bringing value week after week to you, Jill, Robbie, as a member it wasn't a place where e-commerce was our sweet spot, where we were really seasoned in how to do retargeting and promos and discounts and kind of that playbook you need in this a la carte transactional market to really thrive. So it for sure had its challenges of it wasn't a playbook with subscriptions that you could take and copy paste over to the a la carte model. You had to really rethink the playbook and what worked. And when that was a bit foreign to the macro parent company we were a part of, we were kind of writing the playbook there and putting a lot of the functionality into the system that was table stakes to survive in a paper course environment, but we just didn't have yet. So we were playing a bit of catch up there. Yeah, it's interesting because on the one hand, like as you said, you were playing catch up because many of the other players were 
selling on a per course basis and you wanted to have a similar offering to expand your market. And that requires, as you said, a whole different set of e-commerce, direct commerce skills, all the email marketing and the retargeting and all of that, which is just, do we have those skills? Can we do it? Can we deliver? And then there's also that bigger question of, does it support the promise you're making? And back to your point earlier about the way you design courses and that you want them to be bite-sized and you want to give people exactly what they need in the moment and help them identify what they need next going back to this example of the B2B sales, right? So you come in and you're looking for objection handling. You can take a whole course on that, but there are several different instructors who have one or two modules within a larger course that are focused on that topic. And so how to give people the best experience, I think, is to give them access to everything that might be relevant to them. But when you have one course, almost by design, they have to choose the one course that is perfect for them instead of kind of building themselves exactly what they need in the moment. Yeah, no, totally well said. And when you break down the DNA of a role to get to an outcome, right, to be able to get that promotion, it's not always as straightforward as one skill checkbox. Maybe there is that use case for some learners. I just had this one gap to close. And that's where I think the a la carte model is super powerful. And it's there for learners that just need that quick 30-minute Excel pivot table refresh and we can meet their needs. But for many, a little bit of leadership, a little bit of meeting prep, a little bit of business development. And it's this flavor that makes us professionals that are our most productive and successful selves, which is where I think that subscription offering, to your point, just really thrives and meets the needs of our members. Yeah. And that's an important point, this idea of who your best members are, who are the ones that are getting the most value. And it's the ones that are making a habit of learning, which is a very different way than saying our best customers are the ones that swoop in once a year and take four courses. And knowing who you're designing for and building an ongoing relationship with them and having this kind of long-term goal with them about, I'm helping you thrive in your career. I'm not helping you get a job, although that may be one element. I'm helping you get that job, thrive in that job, find the next job, build a community, build a network. And it's a very different way of designing product. Absolutely. So you've been with LinkedIn for a long time. You were there through the acquisition of Lynda. You were there through being acquired by Microsoft. And more recently, I'm very interested in kind of business development and partnerships and acquisition. And how do you provide and deliver on that forever promise? Through partnerships, you talked about how LinkedIn acquired Linda to fill a gap, how they were serving their professionals. More recently, you guys acquired, I think it's called Edubrite. That's correct. To offer professional certifications. I'm curious, what do you see as the role of whether it's a partnership or an acquisition as a means to rounding out a forever promise? Yeah, I think it comes back to the top of our conversation where we're saying, We're very much living in this world where the skills needed and the way we prove and demonstrate and signal those skills is ever evolving and ever changing. And so making sure we have the technology and the solutions and the offerings to our learners to be able to do that in the best way possible means always evaluating partnerships that could potentially add more value to our offering, be able to help more learners, match more learners to experts. That's ultimately how we can deliver more forever promises. The more learners we can match to experts, the more skills we can teach, the more forever promises we can create. And one gap we saw in really being able to do that matching effectively was in the professional certification space. 
This is a space for those listening not familiar where you can earn an industry-recognized credential offered oftentimes from a company like Google, IBM, Salesforce. Many of these companies offer these to signal that you know the skill sets of a specific piece of software or a specific role within that company. And you are able to validate that through a assessment to be able to earn this professional certification. And this is a very increasing way that we're seeing learners want to signal their skill sets and also hirers want to make hiring decisions based on these verified credentials. So with that gap, we set our sights on one of the strongest technology platforms out there we could find, Edubrite, which deploys and hosts these professional certifications. And that acquisition just closed just a couple weeks ago. And super, super excited to bring on this team of experts that's going to help us pave the way to bring this completely step function value add to the LinkedIn learning product. And I mean, the vision really being LinkedIn now being a place you can come and earn a professional certification, you could add that professional certification to your LinkedIn profile and then be able to actually be found for opportunity because you have the skill sets through that professional certification. So really just further democratizing the access to learning, putting learning and skill development on a level playing field in a way we haven't been able to do before. So super, super excited about what this acquisition is going to bring for us. Yeah, really interesting. And another, I think, good example of using your promise as your North Star and saying, what else do we need to really deliver on economic access for all and thriving in your professional career? And then looking around and saying, do we need to build that? Or is there a place we can partner or an organization we can acquire? I think that's often a really good strategy to deepen the relationship with the customer. So I love that. Hey, do you have a minute? I want to close out if you've got another minute or two with a speed round. Would that be okay? Sure. Pressure feels on. I don't know what that means, but so maybe (laughs) I will cautiously agree to it. Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) It's painless, I promise. (laughs) First subscription you ever had? Oh, gosh. Probably like Apple Music or something like that. Yeah. A subscription that you find particularly useful at this point in your life? My diaper subscription (laughs) for my son without fail. The new diapers show up on my doorstep when I need them. (laughs) Is that like a subscribe and save type of thing? Or is that a sort of special diaper service? It is a special compostable diaper service that we use. Awesome. Your favorite college class? I mean, I guess speaks to the roots of my learning interest, film production. And the last LinkedIn learning course you took? I took a great course on how to create equitable design. Awesome. That's it. Thank you so much, Jill, for taking time to join us on Subscription Stories. It was a real pleasure. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Likewise. That was Jill Raines, Product Director for LinkedIn Learning. For more about Jill and LinkedIn Learning, go to linkedinlearning.com. And for more about subscription stories, as well as a transcript of my conversation with Jill, go to robbiekelmanbaxter.com slash podcast. Also, if you like what you heard, please go over to Apple Podcasts or Apple iTunes and leave a review. Mention Jill and this episode if you especially enjoyed it. Reviews are how listeners find our podcast, and we appreciate each one. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening to Subscription Stories.